we will keep at it until we're confident the job is done. Hello. We don't expect central bankers to be the life and soul of the party, but even so, Jerome Powell, the head of the US Federal Reserve, made for especially grim listening this week. The Fed has dashed hopes of a pivot from its path of monetary tightening. Powell delivered a sombre commentary on the state of the US economy and hinted of the increasing likelihood of a recession as he pushed ahead with a third consecutive rate rise. Well, I'm joined by Fidelity International's Global Chief Investment Officer for Fixed Income, Steve Ellis. Hello, Steve. Hi, Richard. What's your reading on how markets have absorbed this hike? Well, uh, I think coming into this meeting, there was a chance, like a very small chance, like 20% chance they could um, hike by 100 basis mm. points. So in the end, obviously, they hiked by 75 basis points. So, you know, I think, I think the main thing is that the, the Fed are you know, taking this very hawkish path and the market's really actually standing up and paying attention to them. So you can see, you know, the, the reaction in the market today has been one where, uh, you know, Treasury yields have backed up, and you know, so ten-year yields have backed up another sixteen basis points or so uh, to three seventy. You're seeing um, the market getting more and more convinced that the Fed are actually going to carry through, and you know, do be as um, on a normalisation path and get towards that five percent uh, um, level. I mean, at the moment, so you think back a few months ago and, and the market was still thinking, surely there's a chance of a pivot here. Yes, that, that, that word pivot definitely became common currency, well, that's, that's but never gone. came from the Fed. No, it's gone. And, and the, that's the thing. The Fed have actually been trying. I think that's the one thing that um, the Fed have actually done quite successfully more recently is saying, you know, Powell said, I don't want to make the same mistakes of the 1970s and the Burns era, where they did actually pivot too early and they restoked inflation. Um, and so, you know, that the, the pivot has been priced out into next year. Um, and I think that's where that, that's been hard for the market to adjust to, thinking that surely the Fed, you know, seeing any, any softness in the economy will actually pivot, but they're just not. So not uh, Burns. Powell is not modelling himself on Burns, but there is lots of talk of him modelling himself on Volcker, the, uh, the Fed chair who, who followed, um, which was a pretty grim time for the American economy yeah. as a result of the efforts to bring down uh, inflation. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I can't remember the exact number. I think policy rates went to 24% or so back in the late 1970s. And uh, you know we saw very sharp contraction activity the dollar strengthened very aggressively, which eventually led to the plaza record. You know, so that was a very aggressive time where inflation expectations were really squeezed down to the economy, and it led to you know Reaganism and supply side economics. This time around, I mean, I wouldn't say that Powell is a Volcker. I just don't think he can be. As much mm. as he'd like to be, he can't be because the the environment's so different this time. Uh, and the big difference is that this is a time where we have so much more debt in the global economy. So everything is just so more levered so so that even small interest rate hikes can have kind of magnified and profound effects on, on the economy. Which we don't necessarily know uh, yet how that's going to uh, going to play out. One question I want to ask you is that all the attention so far, and, and perhaps you'd expect this um, in the immediate aftermath of the Fed hiking, we're recording this the, the day after, it's been on the hike, all the attention, and on the dot charts, which plot where various voting members of the Fed expect rates to be next year and a little bit beyond. But what are the risks that you think that investors are missing? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a key question. So I always think that markets work on narratives. And the narrative, you think back, uh, I remember back in March 20, when we just had the outbreak of COVID, I, you know, I remember having conversations with colleagues and, and also clients where everyone thought this would be very deflationary. And, I, and, you know, I for once thinking, absolutely not. There's no way, not with this scale of 
fiscal and monetary injection. So with the, the level of um, quantitative easing, you know, four trillion dollars of balance sheet expansion, interest rate cuts to, to zero, negative 50 basis points in the case of the ECB, combined with huge stimulus programs. So for example, the COVID rescue package in the US is $1.9 trillion. Now, these are staggering amounts of monetary and fiscal accommodation. It was, you know, in an environment where you're going to have capacity constraints, this was hugely inflationary. So the market just was kicking and screaming, really, in, in accepting that this was going to be an inflationary environment. Now it's kind of, it's firmly believing that, okay, now this is an inflationary environment, and this is going to remain as an inflationary environment, and central banks have finally got the act um, together. So, but... You know, my, my contention here is that uh, narratives change, and I would suspect that the scale of demand destruction that we're going to get in the next uh, year or so is going to be so um, of such a huge magnitude, and the, the tightness of monetary policy that we're going to get is, is, could actually tip things over the edge to the point that the narrative will change and we could see a very sharp deceleration in inflation pressures and inflation expectations. Um, and then, you know, combine this with reopening of economies and so on, supply chains reopening. I think the market and central banks could be surprised by, you know, how things do change. And, and we're dealing with not an inflationary problem here, but actually, you know, some fairly sizable deflationary or, or at least disinflationary pressures in the economy. Disinflation, um, Powell would uh, want um, that demand destruction is the unfortunate byproduct, he might say, of hiking rates. You get, you know, rising unemployment and various parts of the the economy slowing down dramatically. But can you explain a little bit more why you're so worried by this? Well, so as as Chairman Powell said himself, right? So a recession is a necessary evil here. We've had the bubble of everything caused by very loose monetary policy and, and fiscal policy, and we need to recalibrate things and and you know, once inflation gets in the system, you need to act very aggressively. And that's what he's doing right now. Um, but the point I'm making is that um, it just only takes a very small interest rate hike or s- series of hikes for it to have a very profound impact on the economy because of the debt level so high um, that we, we're experiencing. I mean, I, I've always been of the belief that for the system to clear, in other words, for the amount of debt refinancing that has to occur, and for the economy to stay afloat, you need to have real interest rates at very, very low levels, meaning negative levels. And this is just because, you know, we've had years and years of very low interest rates and, and more and more, you know, central planning through fiscal expansion and so on, that the economy is reliant on very low interest rates. So we know we need very low real yields, right, to, to, for the economy to, to function. And that's not what we've got right now. So real yields, so 10-year real yields in the U.S. are above 1.1%. And, and it's going to be very difficult for the market to, to cope with that and for the economy to cope. And so I think we're going to see a huge amount of demand destruction as a result. And on top of that, when you think about the amount of interest rate hikes that the, um, the, the Fed have done so far, so that they're at 3.25% now, on their way to possibly even up to 5%, and doing $95 billion of balance sheet reduction each month. Right? The so positive tightening. That's QT. Yeah. Um, we're going to see, I think, and all, we've already seen a huge decline in the dollar um, value of world money supply. So already we've seen that come off very sharply this year. We've seen about $7 trillion decline 
in the value of money supply globally. And I think based on the current, you know, the trajectory of interest rate hikes and the trajectory of more balance sheet reduction, we could lose another five trillion, five or six trillion dollars of money supply um, from the world economy, which means that there's going to be a certainly asset price deflation, if not you know, goods price deflation as well. So I think that, you know, we're, we are going to be encountering uh, fairly sizable demand destruction going forward. You know, on top of that, we've got, and, and this is a, an absolute, you know, this is like the crux of the issue. We've got household balances which are in you know, perilous state because the cost of living crisis, so energy and food prices at the highs. If you take energy prices, for example, so energy usage as a percentage of GDP, well, the amount that's spent on energy to produce widgets, to, you know, heat and so on, is about 13% of GDP, right? And the last time it was at these lofty levels was back in 2008. And we know what happened there. It's enough to tip the consumer over the edge hmm. at a time where interest rates are going higher and so on. And, and you know, so I, I think we, we've got pl plenty of reasons why we could see fairly sizable demand destruction in the economy going forward. A very worrying uh, picture you paint there. Now, I can't remember how many years Mr. Powell's got left in his term in office, but um, let's assume that you are indeed the next chair of the Fed. What would you do? <laughs> so <laughs> I think um, it was Irving Fisher actually said in the 1920s that if he was made chair of the Federal Reserve, that he would set interest rates. And I can't remember, I have to remember the actual level. Let's say it's 5% for argument's sake. He would set it on day one and then resign. And uh, I would take the same philosophy. I think, you know, that so cent central banks, I think, have you know always had that Fed, Fed put. They've always acted to try to combat uh, deflation pressures in the last 20 years and, and so on. As a result, I think they've just fostered more and more asset bubbles and created this backstop for markets and, and encouraged more leverage, um, especially through the signposting from... Um, you know, from policy. So forward guidance. The forward guidance, mm. yeah. So so I, I would if I was the Fed, I would be setting I would they're doing the right thing so far, um, but they they're gonna be looking in the rear view mirror. I think they need to turn their heads around and look in the the front window of the car and think, Oh, hang on a minute. If we carry on on this path and we carry on with quantitative tightening, we are gonna be in big trouble. So I would be setting policy. I would be putting the brakes on policy, um, if not now, or certainly in the next, uh, after the next hike or so, and, and leaving policy rates on hold and letting the dust settle because um, there's a chance here that they could just keep going and going. It's like my analogy for this is imagine having a brick on the floor and attaching an elastic band to it, right? So you're pulling the brick along with the elastic band and nothing's happening. So that's the Fed raising interest rates and doing quantitative tightening and suddenly you know, things, the, the thing, the brick lurches towards you. It's that kind of um, concern I have. Is it that feels the, like nothing's happening, but actually the tension yeah, is building and ratcheting up. There's leads and lags with policy, yeah. as we know. And I think it's, you know, the, this time it's even more difficult, even more of a knife edge for the Fed to, to maneuver. So I would be setting policy somewhere around these levels, leaving it and, and be done with it and, and not tipping things over the edge. What should Fidelity's clients uh, be doing in terms of allocation in circumstances like this when you've got Fed on a, on a, a trajectory, as you set out, of, of hiking rates um, and we don't know at what point the brick is going to come smashing back towards us? So where is a sensible place to be putting, putting money? Yeah, so 
this is, I think, in a time where you need to be defensive because the chances are that they won't be, you know, the Fed will continue and they're going, they could actually, something could snap. Um, and we could see continued strength in the dollar, you know, flight to safety and so on eventually. But I would say this, so when, when you look at in fixed income, I would think the, you have to be in the more defensive parts of, of that asset class. Um, let me take high yield. I'm, I think I've mentioned this a few times before, but my concern is that we are heading for a deep recession and, and it's, you know, recession probability has been picking up. No one knows exactly what the depth will be and so on, but I, th I suspect that um, given the demand destruction I'm talking about, it could be a very deep recession. So defaults should be going higher in that environment. So when I look at um, high yield spreads currently, and I'll, I'll use the example of US high yield where um, spreads are currently 480 basis points. And what you do, you take that spread and you just back out using a few simple calculations of a recovery value of 40 cents in the dollar. You assume some liquidity um, uh, premium. And what you can assert from that is that that spread is currently, which by the way, is in the 50th percentile over the last 20 years, right? So we're, we're in the middle of the range. It's not like everything's screaming cheap yet, but we're in the middle of the range. Um, that spread is implying a default rate in the next one year of about 2.7%. And that's way too low. You know, if we're going to a deep recession, historically, those default rates should be more like 7 or 8%, like they were in, you know, back in uh, GFC, or actually GFC was even higher. In 2008. Right? Yeah, but mm -hmm. um, back in 2016, you know, the shale gas issues and so on, um, sovereign debt crisis in 2011 and so on. So, you know, the, the default, the, the cushion that you get from high yield, I think, is just doesn't protect you from rising defaults. Whereas if you go down um, to investment grade, you're seeing a lot more protection there in spreads. In a rising default environment, you know, you still, there's very chance to jump to default risk and so on. So there you've got, say, US, high, US investment grade spreads, 150 bips. There you've got about 130 basis points of, of premium, if you like, for any rising defaults. Um, so you're getting a lot more protection, I think, in more investment grade than you are right now in uh, high yield. Um, so so that would be the first thing. I think there's still some value in inflation um, protection here, um, more so from the exposure you get to real yields than break-evens. Okay, two good um, uh, tips there. We, we didn't actually discuss this before you came into the studio, Steve, but I happen to know there's a defaults piece with your name on it that's just been published, um, which uh, anybody listening, if you want to find it, you can see that and more commentary on the Fed on your local Fidelity website or at fidelityinternational.com. So thanks very much indeed, Steve Ellis. The producers today were Seb Morton clark and Holly Eastman with technical support from Canon Blitz. That's it for this Fed hike special, but from all of us at Fidelity, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied upon by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without the prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please visit your local Fidelity website.